Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Hello and welcome to the one hour later than normal down with D&D. Thanks to Daylight Savings Time. And I am your host, Sean Merwin, along with the co-host, the Alpha Stream himself, Mr. Teo Sabadilla. Hello, Sean. How are you doing, my friend? I am feeling well rested. All right. Yeah, that or, extra hour is tasty. Or something like that. Let's do it every week. Yeah, I think we should turn back. That, that'd be good hopefully we could get some of our life and our hair back yeah i could use any of that either especially or... last night i stayed up doing uh, environmental real world job work and uh i could use an extra hour now yeah well hopefully we'll get your uh, adrenaline flowing as we talk D D with everyone out there oh man uh, there's some groundbreaking news yeah there, there is. There is a lot of groundbreaking news, um, not necessarily D&D rules related, but D&D business related. The first is that Critical Role has announced that they are creating their own publishing company called Darrington Press. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of stuff to unpack. We'll just take a couple minutes to do so. But, you know, there are some people that say Critical Role is partially or even a, a good port, a part behind 5e's success um, right. with the audience that it brought in. And so now they are turning things around and making their publishing company to go along uh, with their stream. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about the news there? Yeah, I mean, so Ivan Van Norman is the person heading up Darrington Press um, he co-owns Hunter's Entertainment, uh, which has a strong track record of launching big Kickstarters, including licensed deals. Um, he has been involved in this space heavily, big, you know, friend, part of the whole network of LA people there. Uh, Matthew Mercer is the creative advisor. Uh, we have Darcy Ross of Monty Cook Games. How awesome is the publishing marketing manager. So she had announced she was leaving Monty Cook Games quite happily and sadly, you know, it was very kind of. So it says a lot about a company when both sides are sort of like sharing their tears online about someone having to leave. And so you knew you could kind of sense Darcy is doing something cool. What is it? And here it is. Right. So she will be the publishing marketing manager. Uh, A number of other people uh, shared that they're being involved. It was sometimes hard to figure out in what capacity, but there are a number of people that are that are working on games or otherwise involved in marketing, editing, things like that. Yeah. Uh, They also announced a a slate of products uh not nothing specific or not too specific in the long term but uh they're gonna have their own online shop for uh for the us uk and australia as well as selling things in gaming stores uh what did you think of that slate of products it's pretty interesting you know immediately when you hear this announcement i think most people are going like oh you're going to offer a critical role RPG. Right. And then you look at the slate and you go, oh, okay, it's a, a board game with a name that looks a lot like Kuotoa, but it's Ukotoa. Um, <laughs> that looks fun. You know, okay, so it's a board game. Then Critical Role Adventures, a cooperative legacy light, cooperative legacy light game. Okay. 
it is critical role related, but it's like a card board type legacy game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then a syndicult RPG, which is supposed to be some sort of light um, narrative heavy RPG. Mm-hmm. And then Guardians of Matrimonia, a cooperative card game. And these could all be great, but it's very interesting that it's not sort of, you know, what you'd think would be the elephant in the room would be critical role announcing the critical role RPG. So maybe they're gathering steam for that and working on the background. I can't imagine that that's never going to come to the fore. Right. But, um, but you know, it'll be, it'll be cool to see it. They've got, you know, if you go to the website, you can see they've got all sorts of uh, beautiful pictures of the art from these games and things like that. And so I think as, as long as these games are halfway fun, mm-hmm with the audience that they have, uh, they'll see a lot of success here. Yeah. My, my first thought was the same. Why isn't there the, you know, critical role role-playing game? And yeah, you know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering then how the wild mount, uh, book sold for wizards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if that had anything to do with it, if, if that, if the sales of, for that did not reach the heights that they had hoped. Maybe they saw that we need to go in a different direction to sell to our, you know, established audience base. So I have so many thoughts on that. I don't know how much time I want to spend on, but like <laughs> the quick version of it, I feel is, well, Wild Amount was hit by COVID, right? right. And so it's very hard to tell what, what may have uh, existed there, but it's somewhat similar to Acquisitions Incorporated. You know, you and I are very familiar with with seeing that and looking at the sales of it. And I think that for all these things, if Wizards isn't going to support it, mm-hmm. if there isn't a continual emphasis, something that's just pushing it periodically, mm-hmm. then those things, those kinds of releases will fade into the background. It's true of Theros. It's true of all these things that are kind of, you know, if, if they escape the cycle, Mm-hmm. What you what you have to do to keep people playing, if you want Wildemount going on all the time, is you need some sort of organized type play program. You need some sort of support that's happening con- to continually keep people focused. Mm-hmm. It also has to be part of what Wizards mentions, right? When Wizards uh, talks about a new release, they should talk about you know what they learned from Theros or Wildemount or Acquisitions Incorporated and keep right. moving that in so it's part of the reality of what they're constantly mentioning. And if it's mm-hmm. not then that can fade, right? And it's harder to sustain those sales. Yeah. So it will be interesting to keep an eye on that uh, venture, both in terms of the role-playing game D&D ties, as well as just what products that they come out with as an independent publishing company. Yeah, I mean, for the hobby, I think this is great, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, more more games is more better. And if you bring more people into gaming, uh, there will be more people out there who you can play games with. Yeah. And while I don't know, you know, I can't, they have not released any information on what they pay or whatever. You feel like this is the kind of group that can afford to pay people properly. Yeah. You know, maybe they're not doing that. I don't know, but it's another entity that can, because they know how to come at the industry from a different angle. Sure. Yep. Uh, also up the new unearthed Arcana article is up with two new subclasses. The Way of the Ascendant Dragon for Monks and the Drake Warden for Rangers. I kept trying to say Draken Ward, which, <laughs> which I think is actually cooler than Drake yeah. Warden. Uh, yeah. So we're not going to go too in depth on these tonight or today because we want to get to our main topic and get through the final four towns today. Uh, but it's pretty much what it says. Uh, the 
way of the ascendant dragon monk some monk subclass that emulates the power of dragons uh the ranger subclass the drake warden gives you a ranger with a drake companion and also gives your ranger some dragonish abilities uh and just as i read it through it i'm thinking you know this is all cool i feel like we're starting to see things sort of everything's blurring now um <laughs> i think but if you've bought products on the dms guild and if you've purchased all the wizards products and if you've purchased some third party products with subclasses i feel like we've we've hit a saturation point for certain themes um and i feel like now we're just kind of shuffling powers around mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily a bad thing uh it's just i'm i'm hoping like when tasha's is released we really see some new and exciting things as opposed to just okay we're gonna stick this sort of power on all of the races to make subclasses um that that's my fear with like psionics is mm-hmm. it just becomes these new powers where you do psychic damage and everyone does it and there you go uh so it's you know it's tough to design new rules especially how far are we into eight nine eight years seven eight years yeah. into this edition uh it's going to be interesting to see and does this tell you what is coming <laughs> we, we we have two dragon things uh coming out yeah so, you know is is there a dragon what was, what was that box set the the dragon you play dragons uh, oh council of worms yeah council of worms confirmed yes exactly <laughs> uh, dragon yeah. jammer yeah uh dragon jammer uh i yeah i hear what you're saying i, I think part of it is when you're b- building these things you don't want to exceed the different bounds, right? And so if you look at the original player's handbook subclasses, you kind of go, okay, at third level, there's sort of these three different ways of handling it. Yep. And then as, as designers start playing with it, they're like, ah, oh, maybe there are these five different ways, but you still kind of don't want to stray too far from that. Or someone finds out, oh, here's how I can totally, this is such an obviously better choice. I can break this or it's yep. just, and so, you know, you want to go back to that original sort of way of designing each of those different levels. And it's hard to vary from that. Mm-hmm. And, and so then a lot of it is sort of there's a skin on it, which is the concept. And that's often, you know, very gratifying, but also the features must be gratifying and somehow different, uh, but not stronger, not weaker. And that's yeah. a hard task to pull off the longer and longer you go. It also ends up being that I think originally your subclasses will be things that are, are iconic and they fit in any game. And as you go, then you start saying like, well, I'm totally half dragonish. And, and someone goes, I don't know that I want that in my campaign. Yeah. And I think that's the harder thing is that, it, and it's true with the races, right? With Volos and, and, and I'm sure with Tasha's, you end up with all these races and, and someone wants to play a Furbo, another person, a, a Kenku. And it's just, and then you go, wow, what happened to iconic D&D? Yeah. And so that's where you have to go back to campaigns, right? And content and say, well, here are the options that we're going to have when we play this game so that you get that feel back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've always talked about when you design new rules, you want them to be flavorful, um, you know, uh, balanced and cool. Yeah. And so, so what's the story behind 
these things it can be just as important to certain game groups as the mechanics themselves. And so if the story behind them isn't cool, then it just it's just yeah. one more skin over a ranger. And it has to be a good skin is, is the important part. The, the, the story must be compelling and then your features must correctly enforce that. I think that's the trickiest part of subclass design is that it really has to be that good feeling that things are, are that, that this is true. This this narrative that we've right. thrown over it really is cohesive and tangible in play. Yep. It's hard. And, yeah. And so, you know, what what's the Drake Warden who summons this Drake, the smaller, small dragon, basically, um, you know, what's the story behind that? What what where's the drama? What is the the hook? You know, all of those things. Um, and maybe it will be great. We, we don't know. Uh, but you, dear listener, can go download those two new subclasses, play with them, give them your attention. And I'm sure that. If not by the time this uh, episode drops soon, there will be a survey up for you to take. Yeah. And that moves us to our next bit of news. Hasbro's quarter three earnings call. This is always something that I'm interested in seeing uh, what Hasbro, how Hasbro's doing financially and where Wizards of the Coast in general and D&D specifically fits into that role. And for those of you who have been fans for years and years and years, generally it doesn't. Generally, we would not hear anything about it. Took forever. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they would mention magic, uh, just in terms of how much money they're printing with it, but uh, never D and D. And now, for probably the I don't know tenth, eleventh straight quarter, D and D is mentioned specifically. Even with COVID, D and D is up more than twenty percent for the quarter and year to date, uh, and that's good. Because um, you never know how something like a pandemic will affect uh, earnings, affect people's yeah. ability to to spend. Uh, but that's not the coolest thing that was mentioned, I think. Teos, do you want to take it from there? Sure, gladly. So they said uh, the team is busy working on the Dungeons and Dragons live action feature film, which is like, OK, yeah, we've heard that. That's this you know, movie's been uh, wor uh, being worked at various levels for a long time. And it was announced that it was delayed due to COVID. So it's still going on. So we're working on a number, a couple of different approaches because there's so much mythology and canon uh, to Dungeons and Dragons for live action television. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and there's been very strong interest. <laughs> we've talked about how many global streamers, you know, blah, blah, blah. D&D is a strong brand. But wait, what you just you said film first yeah. and then you said television and they have not taken this back. So uh, live action TV D&D series coming. Yeah, that's confirmed. Um, confirmed. Yeah, it's got to be spelled jammer, too. <laughs> and, and, uh, they're they're too cowardly for that and smart. <laughs> it, it, yes. But, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, as we sat here over the years and saw Netflix rise and saw uh, Amazon Prime rise. And now there's all sorts of content streaming services, Apple, uh, you know, who else? Peacock, you know, all of yeah. these are, are new Disney. And we saw Witcher, right? We saw right. shows made that are basically D&D shows. Yeah. That Game of could, Thrones. I mean, yeah, that could. Well, yeah, that's that's a big one. Uh, <laughs> but could just as easily 
have been a Dungeons and Dragons show. And so I'm surprised we haven't seen more, but this tells me that yes, they are, um, they are considering it more strongly based on the interest in D and D from the various streams and broadcasts and podcasts and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. The latest release on the DMs guild of interest from bald man games is the next moonshine Isles trilogy. I know for a fact that bald man games is going to be working to release a backlog of moonshine Isles adventures. So if you are into the Moonshays or if you are an Adventurers League player uh, who, are, who is looking for more Adventurers League content, these are there. Um, this one is near and dear to my heart because when uh, the DMs Guild first started, Wizards reached out to creators to put, some, put up some content. And with my friends at Encoded Designs, we created an adventure called The Five Temples of the Earth Mother, Life and Moon. And the idea was life and moon would be these, the first two of these five temples. Um, and then life got in the way and then other things got in the way and we didn't release the last three temples. Um, one of the reasons was because bald man games took over uh, ownerships quote unquote of the moonshine Isles. So we wanted to wait and let them be the publisher for the final three temples. And these came out at least a year and a half ago, if not longer, um, for at, at a convention. But with just the backlog of, of things, they were not released, but they have been released now. So you can get the Temple of Death, the Temple of the Sun, and the Temple of the Beast on the DMs Guild. And keep an eye out for even more uh, Munche content from Bald Man Games coming down the pipe soon. Yeah, and I've played all of those. I played them at Origins whenever they came out. They were great, really, really a lot of fun. And I owned the Five Temples of the Earth Mother that was originally put out. So it was fun to for me as well to see that. that yep. story so continue. if you have been cursing my name specifically because you <laughs> played that first adventure five years ago or whenever it came out, uh, they, they're there now. You can stop cursing my name. You can curse someone else. We'll never stop cursing your name, Sean. This is true. This is true. <laughs> And speaking of Adventures League, Teos, you have an announcement about the AL rules updates. Yeah, I've been trying to figure things out because uh, the rules, where you find them, has changed. So it used to be you'd go to the AL website and you'd get your rules for how to play AL. That makes a lot of logical sense. Uh, and then they said, you know what? We've got this DM skill thing. That's where you actually get the adventures. So let's put the rules there. And that made a lot of sense. But now none of those are the places where you get the AL rules. You get them on the official Dungeons & Dragons Discord channel. Okay. <laughs> so that's a little complicated, but uh, that's where they are now. They will also be put on the D&D website, but the, you know, the Wizards of the Coast site. Uh, but apparently there's a delay, you know, and when those arrive there as well. But one thing you can do is if you do use Discord to like run games or things like that, you can go to the AL Updates channel, which is in the D&D Adventures League section of the D&D Discord. And you can click the follow button and put that on to have it automatically copy over any announcements that go in that AI Updates channel can go to your Discord channel. So I've done that for the, play, the Discord channel where my buddies and I that we often play AL stuff together. 
we now get those updates automatically. So I don't have to go to that enormously busy Dungeons and Dragons Discord channel. I can just get the updates flowing through. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a number of releases recently news-wise, which if you didn't know about all these changes and haven't gone to this Discord channel, you probably don't know about. Uh, there is a new version of the DM's Guide, version 10. This tells you how to play Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and Plague of the Ancients, which is the name for their new season 10 uh, campaign that supports Rhyme, Plague of the Agent, Plague of Ancients. Uh, the player's guide is version 10.2. So if you've got old guides, time to go out and find the new ones on the Discord channel or on the wizard site when they get there. And just to back up a bit, which will make more sense with the other things we're going to talk about, let's step back and say, well, what are the flavors of ale you can play right now? And there are basically four. One is your seasonal campaign. And this is, the, I think, the easiest to understand, which is that D&D puts out an official hardback, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and there's accompanying play. And that's your season. So this is season 10. It's called Plague of Ancients. And it's a storyline that sort of follows along with a lot of what Rhyme is doing as a book. But it's separate from the book. So you can play the book as official AL, or you can play this Plague of Ancients campaign. All of those start with the nomenclature DDAL10 and then some number, 01, 02, et cetera. So you know that that's the official AL10 season. Yep. The one thing about this is if you start playing in your Plague of Ancients, the, the Rhyme campaign, and you leave, you can't come back. You have migrated out of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of an interesting thing is, is that the, this whole seasonality aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what you can leave too, let's talk about those things. So you have the Masters campaign. This is mostly high level play, at least fifth level up. And this is the Dreams of the Red Wizards is the current high level play campaign. Um, Those will have DRW in the naming convention, Dream of Red Wizards. Mm -hmm. And then everything that was done before, old seasons, all of the things that used to be the program called CCC, the community created content or convention created content, um, Moonshade Isles, things like that. Those are called historic campaign, even though they may, some of them may be active, Uh, that's all in the historic campaign area. So if you were playing season 10 and then you did one of these two things, you would not come back to season 10. That's the most important thing to know. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last one is the Eberron campaign. This is a separate adjunct campaign. Uh, Sean's one of the admins called Oracle of War. Amazing campaign, really good. And this is a self-contained campaign. Simply create your Eberron character following the rules for that campaign guide and play and have an awesome time. It's incredible. Yep. And the Oracle of War documents for rules have been updated to version 1.4. Um, that, so that's the new uh, rules for the Oracle of War campaign, if you're playing that. Uh, yeah. The couple of the most important things, you can now rebuild your character up to level 10. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is essentially going to take care of when Tasha's comes out and people were saying, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? Just rebuild your character. If you want to use Tasha's, go ahead. That's great. I love that kind of flexibility. Yep. Um, another thing on the master's side, so the high-level play side, a new six-hour-long mm-hmm. Red Wizards adventure for Tier 3 by M.D. Black. Uh, so I, And this is DRW06 called Thimble Rigging. Uh, I love M.D. Black. I look forward to seeing this. I am not a big fan of six-hour adventures, even independent of this being the online gaming era, because mm-hmm. a six-hour online game is going to be like a 10-hour, if not longer, experience. Yeah. But six hours, you know, I loved the fourth edition epic campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read it. 
I knew, I know a handful of people who actually managed to play it, but those I think were eight hour adventures. Maybe there were six. There was something really obnoxiously long. It was impossible to play it. Like it's just, it's really hard to get people together for four hours, six. That's a tall order. So I, I hope they'll reconsider it because I want more people playing. I'm sure this is a really cool adventure and I will definitely buy it and read it, but I'm probably not running a six hour adventure and I'm probably not alone in that. Yeah, it's it's tough it's tough because I think people who have played been playing fifth edition for a while now recognize how long these tier three and tier four adventures run normally. Uh, So you can't tell much of a story because of the weight of the encounters themselves. So I, I can understand that desire to make a six hour adventure to fit in, you know, three hours of story. (laughs) Uh, that you would normally get from a tier one or tier two adventure, but it does, especially when you're running online, uh, you almost have to divide it up into, you know, into multiple sessions, right. which is, which is a hard thing to do with a home group. Well, yes. Yeah. With, and that's, with an organized play campaign. And in theory, you can say, Hey, let's just split in half. It's two, three hour adventures. That's totally reasonable. But I now need to do it with the same exact people. Exactly. And the whole point of organized play is that flexibility where you can say, Hey, you know, Sue is going to play in this adventure in the next adventure it's Sally, but we all can play and, and Sally can catch the part she missed later. And, and you know, and it all works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next thing is dungeon craft adventures. This is a brand new thing. It's a kind of, if you're familiar with the Oracle of war salvage missions, it's like that. It's a set of rules called dungeon craft that allows you to create your own two or four hour adventures that are tied to the new season 10 Plague of Ancients uh, Ice Dale campaign. Mm-hmm. This basically replaces the CCC program where conventions were creating play. Now it's going straight to the DMs Guild and anybody can have a piece of it, including you, the listener. You follow these rules that are available now on the Discord channel and you uh, can create your two or four hour adventure following those things. They give you a list of monsters you can use. Uh, one of the strangest things you have to use one of their adventure seeds and there's this list of adventure seeds by tier um, and you have to use one of those I find that kind of strange but okay so you you hopefully like one of those and hopefully don't make something that's just like what someone else makes based off of it (laughs) but you make this adventure and you put it on the dm's guild and people can buy it and everybody can play it um there's no review done by the admins and i'm sure that's a big part of this um why this was was done as a program before all the cccs had to be at some point read over and and there was some responsibility there now you it's your job to be following the codes of conduct that exist for writing and the standards and if somehow we find that they're off well your adventure can get pulled and you'll get no money for all your effort so you, you know it's on you to do it but the admins aren't going to be reading over it or fixing it up or anything like that yeah the strangest thing to me about this program is that until published only the authors maximum of two people can run the adventure mm-hmm. like, i'm sorry how reinforcing that yeah i mean it's I can run D&D content however I want. Are you going to stop me? I thought that was very strange. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it is sort of a copyright issue where you cannot use Forgotten Realms material. You, you, you cannot, 
this is my understanding. I am not a lawyer. I didn't mm-hmm. play one mm-hmm. on TV. You cannot create content using wizards intellectual property and but you then can distribute for, it. But well, but you can't you distribute can't, it until you publish you it. Right, exactly. That's why you need to publish it. Yeah. Then it, then you have the tacit permission of Wizards of the Coast because you're putting it up on the site, which is legal to then use their IP. Well, and that's where this should then say you can't distribute it because I mean I can I can create a homebrew adventure featuring Spelljammer and Morden Canaan and Elminster and I can run it online every day of the week and nobody can stop me from doing that. It's my game. I'm exactly. not publishing it. I'm not, you know, yeah. sharing it. I'm just running the game. And, and that's it's why it's weird. This, it's that's a little what, bit of but, strange. But isn't that exactly what the rule says? It says you can write something and you can run it yourself all you want, but nobody no, else it, can. It says you can. Well, oh, I see. What, I, I see what you're saying. So because if someone else ran it, then I distribute it. Uh, you, yeah, okay. you will. Ha- you will have distributed it. So that's how they're saying don't distribute because it has to be you. Okay. Right. And then right. other places have gotten around this rule by saying, well, we're going to create a living Dark Sun campaign and we're not going to distribute it, but these 72 people wrote it. <laughs> sure, sure. And, yeah, oh, okay. but we can all run it at Gen Con because we all wrote it. And so that's why they limit it to two people. Yeah, good call. Good call. You've talked so, me off the ledge, Sean, I believe. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, it's just a... It, yeah. Yeah, so that's what it is. It's like saying you can't distribute it, but it's done a certain way that's clever. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. Well, so a lot of changes yeah. there. Yep. And, uh, you know, they will, there's always a period of time when you uh, re- review the rules, everyone talks about them. And, you know, I understand why all these changes have been made, and I'm sure we will talk about them more going down, uh, down the line. Ah, but Monty Cook Games, speaking of Monty Cook Games earlier, has released Numenera Monsters for 5th edition, Beasts of Flesh and Steel. 140 new monsters with science fiction elements um, with a wide range of CRs all the way up to 30. You have this book because you backed the Kickstarter. I did. Uh, You know, I did it. I think it was part of uh, another, it was a Kickstarter that involved a number of things, including this. Uh, this book has the amazing art and layout of all Montico products where you're, you're looking at, you just like, this is just gorgeous. And it's just, you know, start to finish beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it is very well done. And what I like about it is it's very creative because they're taking the monsters they created for Numenera and they're making them into 5e. And one of the virtues of doing that is, you know, the rule set's so different and, and their rule set is very creative and imaginative and, and open in terms of what a creature can do. Mm-hmm. So then when you have to codify it using fifth edition, you come up with some really creative elements. And so if you're looking for monsters that are unique and they're not all, it's not like they're all like, you know, a half computer, half crab, though one of them is, um, <laughs> there are a lot of things that are, you know, undead like or ooze like or plant like or any, you know, would fit in a lot of settings. In addition to other things that are very sci-fi. And so you'll get really, really creative and different monsters. So if you want to su- surprise your players this is an excellent way to do it um the hardcover is 45 the pdf is 18 but it's huge it's 140 new monsters and the crs go all the way up to 30 and i think there are probably more than 
maybe more than 20 above CR9. So it's a, it's a very good mix. It's not nice. like one of those books that often has a bunch of low level and then a couple, like it has a lot of very high CR creatures that are, that are cool. Interesting. Oh, there's be... also a free preview that you okay, can cool. get from their website. Yeah. I will be buying this book because I am very interested at this point in monsters and ways to make monsters where it's not just, they do 1d6 plus three damage and may, may knock you prone, right? Looking for those things right. can surprise the players without overwhelming the players. So I am yep. definitely going to be looking at this for that. And justice's guide to the DMs guild. I have not looked at this yet. Teos. Oh man. You will love it when you look at it. Uh, justice Armin, he wrote a guide to publishing on the DMs guild. And it, it speaks to who he is as a person. You know, this is one of these, like, let me help as much as I can, dear reader, kind of uh, articles. That's just a guide to the things that Justice has learned in becoming a powerhouse, publishing on the DMs Guild, um, working with other groups. You know, how do you find art? How do you find layout? How do you find an editor? Um, you name it, it walks from beginning to end of everything you need to know about how to get started in the DMs Guild. And it's a fantastic article. So if you're nice. all interested in self-publishing, even not on the DMs Guild, this is a great article to look at. Okay. I will also be checking that out. And with the news out of the way, we've got some traveling to do. We have four towns to visit to finish chapter one. So we're going to jump right in hard with Goodmead. All right, Goodmead. So you, you know, if you choose, this is what I would say is one of the cool starting towns. Like it's a good one to, to start with uh, because of a very important plot element that's going on here. Um, Goodmead has lost their speaker, the, the mayor-like figure. Um, so friendliness, two snowflakes, services, one comfort, two. And Goodmead is known for its ale. It's nestled between the red waters and an evergreen forest. And here they bother to actually tell you, how is it that you're making mead? Well, they have a bunch of bees in the mead hall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they have a shrine to Tempest. They now called the Shrine of the Flaming Sword. The population is 100, which is compared to other towns doing fairly well, down from 150 in four years due to this brutal winter. Um, and one of the neat pieces of lore is that it's founded by immigrants from Cholt and the Vilhan Reach. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a diverse town compared to the others. Uh, and that's all brand new lore. The speaker, Kendrick Reelsbarrow, is dead. He was killed by a Burbeeg who stole beer. And uh, because of this, there are two things going on. One is the quest to seek revenge on this. And the second is an election. And here we have two candidates, Dwarf Lager, Shander Froth. Uh, who is a middle-aged woman descended from Cholton founders. Uh, no, oh, the, and the second no, that's person. The second, sorry. Dwarf yeah. logger Shandar Froth, or the middle-aged woman descended from Cholton founders named Olivesa Untapur. And she's a cask maker. The kicker here is that Shandar, the dwarf logger, is in league with the Zentarim, blackmailed for murder they know he committed. Um, and this feels to me a lot like what you wrote in the uh, Acquisitions Incorporated book with the election, oh, yeah. where there's the obvious bad guy, the person who's reluctantly running. And in fact, here it says, hey, I'm only running for the good of the town, is what all of us is saying. How about you run instead? Yep. And I think, you know, this could be a super fun thing to do to have the characters care about 10 towns is to give them a town, right? Like have one of them 
fall into running uh, good mead. I, I mean, who doesn't want to run a brewery as part right. of it too? So I just think this would be a super fun thing to do. And then you can have lots of scent intrigue and, and fun and, and they have a home base and they'll care about the towns more. So this is one of my picks for towns to absolutely visit, if not start in and try to call home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, when I read that, I thought the same thing. When, when I ran the Acquisitions Incorporated game, we had a whole session pretty much where they were campaigning one of the uh, PCs for mayor. And, yeah. and th- they're still, you know, 20 sessions later, they're still like handing out vote, vote for Schmock stickers <laughs> right, to everybody they meet, <laughs> even though the election's long gone. Uh, so you know, it, was, it was great fun. Um, it may be a little less fun depending on how things go this week, but it, uh, it still could be a really great part of a, of a campaign, especially a campaign that can be very dark. So to have a little bit of this success, yeah. have a little bit of light, have a little bit of hope yeah. um, would, would, would be great. Well, so, and you all, and campaigns, you want the other things you want characters to sort of uh, own things and come up with ideas. And if you can just get them to bite on running yeah. uh, with this plea from Olivesa, I think characters will unfold and the players will unfold a list of desires and wants and, and, and you will build from here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so what is the quest that so starts the quest, in the quest is, Hey, uh, our speaker was killed while loading casks. And it says a comment that something along the lines of like, they care more about the ale than they do about the dead speaker, <laughs> but uh, whew, tough downs. Uh, So you kind of go off and you run into a trapper who has found five dead militia who were trying to look into this thing. And then the trapper has a fox and you can kind of buy it, which is kind of a fun twist here. And if you do later, it helps because when you start marching on towards where the tracks lead, a Chewinga throws snowballs at you and the fox, if present, goes to it and they sort of become fast friends and the Chewinga rewards you. If not, the Chinga follow, follows you, but does not reward you. So there's sort of this benefit if you freed the fox. Uh, I think that's all very cute. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at this point that I sort of realized, hey, all the maps have been in color. And I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. The maps um, have been beautiful. Beautiful uh, maps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then you get to the Verbeeg layer. This is similar to what we saw in Dugan's Hole. You have three entrances and even a fourth can be found if you really look around. Uh, the Verbeeg is named Doug, D-U-H-G. So that was very funny. <laughs> that was Doug. funny. Um, and it's possible to do a number of things here. I, I don't think it's really clear. You know, I, I, was, um, I always wish when adventures have really cool things, mm-hmm. but they're probably not going to happen, do that extra work to make it more likely that they happen because that's the fun. I know just what you're talking about. You're talking, <laughs> are you talking about the, the animals? Yeah, the livestock. Yeah. So can, can I, can I tell you? Yeah, this? please, please. So, so th- this Verbeeg has this strange attachment and love of this livestock that he keeps and the players can essentially say back off Verbeeg or your sheep gets it. Yeah. And, but there's no way for you to know that the, it's not something the characters would do, right? It's not, you're not going to run up and threaten the sheep when faced with this Verbeeg. So you need to do something as the DM to, to let them know, like have the verbi having painstakingly made collars for each of them. Yes. 
or or something yeah, that the, shows the names about their pens or something right, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Something that you would not expect that's more than just a funny little aside that the or it can be a funny little aside, but it draws the attention of the characters yeah. to to pay attention and then your quick thinking or your really imaginative players gives them something to latch on to. And you don't even have to have a battle then. Right. right. If, right. if, if you, you could make this a role-playing scene, uh, a socialization scene as the characters in the verbig haggle over the lives of these livestock and the, the mead that, that he stole. Yeah. And I was thinking something like tiny animal toys, but I had the same thought of like, right. there's gotta be some way that you tip your, players off to this so that they can enjoy this fantastic idea that's in here of, of the verbeeg, you know, being afraid of the livestock being harmed. Um, there's some good humor with the ogre. So the verbeeg, there's also an ogre in the lair and it cannot remember its own name because of this, the verbeeg will call the ogre friend. So when it attacks, it attacks shouting me friend. <laughs> 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 i'm your friend wham yeah. <laughs> i think that's great uh if this place can be brutally dangerous so depending on the path you take and then there's not a lot that points you like hey this is the good you know you made a good call it's not like it's choice rewarded or anything it's just if you end up going a certain path you can fight an ogre verbeeg and cave bear in the same combat right uh and the cave bear to continue ridiculous naming is called yogo boar which is clearly yogi bear yeah um, yeah. And so that's a tough combat for like even third level characters. Oh, yeah. uh, that's that's tough. And then after all of it's over, you're like, okay, whew, that's done. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when yeah, well, even before yeah, when you leave, you are um, gonna run into Gog the Verbeeg, who is showing up to see her love Doug, and Gog. Uh, is if if you have killed uh, Doug, you will now fight another Verbeek uh, who's mad that you, their lover has been killed. Um, they also carry a basket of metal from another world uh, and can tell the party about a crashed vessel, Spelljammer mm -hmm. confirmed. Mm -hmm. um, there's some other things that are here. There's a statue of Sylvanus that's pretty neat and that's got a lot of fun. Uh, and it uh, can allow you to do greater restoration. And one of the things that's important with something like this is that um, you can only get the benefit once. So a way that you can learn of it, uh, which obviously identify will, will work, but if, if you can you know, tip, learn a bit of this benefit so that you can come back to it when needed, I think that's mm -hmm. really useful. I would do that as a DM to try to reward it. Yeah. Um, they have some cursed treasure in here. There's, there's some nice angles. I, I, I like a lot of this and, and just all I would say about it is to make sure that it, it, that you don't not get those great elements. And so that's kind of important. Uh, when you get back, all of this is going to ask you to run for speaker. If they do, then there are a couple of, of events uh, that can play, take, uh, come into play. The Zents come um, and it, there's a sort of setup where the other guy that's running Shandar makes it look like he's fighting off the Zents, but you can see through that. I would like a little more help here with how to do this. It's just sort of a, a, a it's a, it's like a paragraph and a bit describing that this will happen, but it doesn't give you a lot of guidance on running it. So I, I think it's, it's easy if you're running, you know, this session and you, oh yeah, what's, the, oh yeah, okay, a bunch of eight thugs show up to, to fight. Mm -hmm. 
but but you want to take that time here to, because this is really important, especially if you want to see characters take an active interest in the town to think through this combat and not not the fight part of it, but the the resolution of it, the ability to sense that this is a setup uh, and to then get involved in the politics of exposing this setup and, and probably being thrust at this point into running for yeah. town. Yeah, it was that way. It was a this was a fun town to read. Uh, yeah. I was really pleased with that one. Yeah. Uh, next on our docket is Lonely Wood. Uh, so this town uh, has a friendliness of three snowflakes, a services of two, and a comfort of two. So it's it's the comfort of two. I question because later it <laughs> says there basically aren't any inns in the town, but the speaker, a halfling commoner named Nimsy Huddle. <laughs> will uh, let you stay in her, in her heated attic if you need a place to crash for the night. And she also bakes you halfling-shaped cookies uh, and brings them to you. And she also is famous for taking them to the council of speaker meetings. Um, I think that's a that's a setup for the future um, cannibal storyline. Yes, yes. And all I can think of is what do halfling-shaped cookies look like as opposed to human small humans yeah huge heads is that (laughs) is that how it works so uh lonely wood is one of the northernmost uh towns and it is on the edge of a forest and the first thing i thought was wait if this is the ton if this is the tundra no trees grow there um, so obviously this is not the tundra and then i fell down a long rabbit hole where i found out that tundra comes from the Finnish word tunturi, which means a treeless hill. So don't call this area a tundra because there are trees growing there. So obviously it's not the tundra. But uh, Lonely Wood was founded by a Sumbian family. And so it is a quiet town of loggers, fishers, and scrimshanders scratching out a living at the edge of the world. The family crest of the Sumbian family that founded the town was a chimera. So there are carvings of dragons, lions, and goats all over the architecture of Lonelywood, which I thought was really a cool detail. Um, one of the buildings is the Happy Scrimshander. It's a nice little shop selling tools that help you with your scrimshander trade run by a pleasant spinster assassin. So it is basically a little old lady who is a was a famous assassin who escaped here uh, years ago mm-hmm. I like uh, that. yeah also there is a place called the lucky liar uh tavern that is run by a spy for saz's tam uh, now there's no plot in motion here uh, it doesn't say and sh- she does this she does that no she's just there keeping an ear out so if anyone tries to escape from saz's tam to icewind dale she keeps an ear out for them uh, and then tells on them if she finds them. And then there is Ramshackle, which is a closed inn, and it is the perfect place for the characters to buy a home base if they want. So we can go back to Acquisitions Incorporated here, making yeah. our home base. We can make it your franchise. Back, we could even go back to uh, Dragon Heist, right? Make getting your own, uh, yeah, getting your own inn. So that that's there for you if you want to use in your campaign. Uh, the quest that is given to you in Lonelywood is called the White Moose. 
and first of all, my party would make all the Rocky and Bullwinkle jokes, uh, moose and squirrel, yep. and then they would get into it. So there is a white moose that is attacking loggers uh, in the forest outside of Lonelywood. Since the logging industry is very essential to not just Lonelywood, but to all the 10 towns, uh, the speaker asked them to help with the moose problem. She has already dispatched hunters, but it has eluded them, which makes people believe that it might be smarter than a normal moose. So it's also white, making it hard to spot in the snow. What the party doesn't know is that the moose is using a magic mirror, a la a crystal ball, to scry to show it where its enemies are, to allow it to go immediately to its enemies, attack, and then leave. Um, and that magical mirror will be found later in the thing. So the first thing that the characters have to do is actually find the moose. And there is a terrible exploration method presented. Uh, and I, I apologize for using such harsh words, but it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I could just see players coming over the screen to strangle me if I start this. So the players are looking around for moose tracks. All right, if they succeed on finding the moose tracks, there is a one in six chance that they actually find the, the moose. So this is your this is your reward for succeeding is having a one in six chance. Otherwise, um, it's one D four hours spent to find a regular right, moose. Right. Otherwise, you spend one D four hours finding a regular <laughs> moose. And then every three hours that you're wandering around uh looking for the moose there's a chance for a random encounter and some of them are are not easy there's like a banshee which can really mess you up now the the reason that all of this it's not stated that that's why it's so hard to find this place but later you find you are told that ancient elven magic tricks all aberrations fiends giants humanoids and undead into veering away from the site where this moose lives uh, without the slightest inkling that they've been magically misdirected. So I understand that's the story and that's, that's a cool story. Uh, it's hard to show that mechanically without making it very, very frustrating right. for the players. So I like the idea. I do not like the implementation. Um, right, you could have had the players making arcana checks to realize there's misdirection in players, something that makes them feel right, engaged and smart about it versus thwarted so, for no reason they can precisely, figure out. Precisely. So along with those survival checks to track, you need, as Teo said, an arcana check to realize that, you know, the tracks look like they're going this way, but there is some magic that's warping reality here, and you're better off going in that other direction. And that at least gives them the chance. And maybe the first time you make that arcana check, it's DC 20 at disadvantage. And then they wander around. Then the next time it's DC 10. So now they have a good chance of figuring it out. Um, you know what I think this is? I mean, you know, um, it's understanding that time in game is nonsense it's an architecture right mm -hmm. but time yeah. out of game is pressure time time as players is yes. precious and when you force me to possibly because one in six does not mean six times will be a success right, right. i could yeah. roll not a six or a one whatever i decide is going to succeed and if i don't roll that one i could possibly do it 12 times 
I mean, yeah. that is going to statistically happen in some home group that 12 times they'll run into this and which would mean six random encounters and days spent tracking this. Yeah. That is playtime and play experience that is supremely frustrating, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't really have any consequence on, on the game time. And so let's just make the right. playtime rewarding and the, you know, right. Make the consequence for failure, not lost time and not more random encounters, but something later that's narratively important. Yeah. So when they finally do get to this area, it is a really cool place. It's, it's Super. this neat, neat map and neat story behind it. Um, it is basically an old elven construct with a moon dial, like a sundial, but that looks at the phases of the moon. Uh, and the characters can run into a lot of cool things here. Uh, the elven, there are 10 elven statues in the area, and the, the text tells us if the characters knock over these elven statues, um, the, if this disorienting effect goes away. And at that point, though, who cares? A, they never learned about the disorienting effect to begin with as written. So they would at some point find the place, but not necessarily know that they were disoriented. So then toppling it doesn't, there's no, they don't have to come back later. So that doesn't matter. Uh, so as the DM makes something happening, that toppling them makes a difference. And make it visceral and make it real and make it something that the players will feel good that they've overcome something. Um, yeah, maybe they are under the effect of one level of exhaustion until they do it. Now, that's pretty harsh, but that's something that after if they have a combat or something, then they are able to get rid of that. That's huge. And they feel like, OK, we're smart. We figured that out. We did it. Uh, the characters will also see a sarcophagus with a uh, with inscriptions on it that that are the pieces of a puzzle um, so they can solve this puzzle the the inscription shows a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for it's something you build a fire in like a, yeah yeah a, a little brazier a brazier thank you it's it's a brazier etched in the, the top of the sarcophagus with these ingredients and then uh, it shows flames and there is a brazier near the sarcophagus. So if they take these ingredients, put them in the sarcophagus or put them in the brazier, light it, the sarcophagus can then be opened. And inside is a mummy, but not a mean mummy. No, it's a nice mummy. It's a nice elven mummy who just wants to go along with the party and do what they say. Which, depending how you run it, can be cool, can be fun, or it can just be, yeah, we've got a mummy with us now and we're going to wreck some things because we have a mummy with us for a while. Uh, I would have loved to have seen the mummy have a little bit more backstory or actually motivation, right? What does the mummy want now rather than just to do what the players say? We really don't get that. Uh, the mummy has also been around for or it hasn't been around for a thousand years. So this mummy knew what was going on here in this area a thousand years ago. Make that mean something. Make that something that the mummy can tell the players. And because the players rescued this mummy, this thing uh, happens 
or the, the mummy can give them information to let something happen cool later uh, in the adventure. I don't you've, know what that is, but... You've, you've also forgotten the most important part about this, which is that the mummy smells like pumpkin spice. It, it is true. <laughs> the, the mummy does. That, that, that is a really cool detail, uh, but it doesn't... You know, I laughed when I read that. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But that doesn't change the story. Yeah. Uh, that we're going to tell with this adventure. I, this is where I want a DM box, like, like you know, a little sidebar that sort of says, we didn't give you features because we want you to create them based on how the players act, which is what I would do here. Right. You know, like, like, like it's yeah. kind of good that you, you have a little bit of a clean slate, but the reason is because you need to fill it in, right? And maybe right. give a few ideas for how, but yep. because it is a, I mean, this is a completely wacky idea. And I think some players, some tables will just have the best time ever with this mummy that they're going to have to like cover up when they go to town and stuff like that. Right. And, and that's, that's a great point. Uh, right. Cause this adventures are stories. Uh, they're technical documents as well. And there's always that balance between the two. And here there's a potential for a great story, but the technical document does not tell like newer DMs or DMs that need a little help, how to make that story flow, how to make it really sing. Uh, the, the rest of this area, there is a winter druid who awakened this moose and is seeking revenge on the 10 towns for the death of her sister. Uh, and to be honest, that's sort of the least cool thing about it, about this whole thing, uh, because she doesn't want to talk. As soon as the characters uh, enter her chamber, she just rushes to attack. She does have an awakened shrub who hides so the the players can you know, gain a an ally essentially in this awakened shrub who sprouts berries um, to please whoever he's serving at the time and it's a really sad tale of the shrub it's kind of funny yeah i, yeah. I love i love the shrub angle there's some there's some fantastic design in here yeah. i mean i love that shrub right it's right the, the shrub is like more compelling than the 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 bad guy oh yeah yeah right. that's true and uh so yeah it, it is it is interesting um i i love the area i loved the the build-up I, I you know i wish that the the bad guy had been more interesting uh, yeah and than just, you're gonna find her twin sister and yeah. you know rotting in a sarcophagus but you're not necessarily gonna understand why i think you would just conclude that she's some follow crazed follower of oral Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's a story behind her, but the story doesn't mean anything uh, to what's happened before or what's going to happen later. Really? So, you know, if you can find a way to, to make that more meaningful, give it some depth, then this is a really great uh, little quest. I think. Yeah. Shall we travel to Targos? Targos. Uh, Targos is well known, if you read the novels, as being sort of the contrarian town of sort of we're going to fight, we're going to do it this way, and, and the rest of the towns can bow to us. Uh, Targos is, it, like Bryn Shander, encircled by a wooden wall. Um, it has two snowflakes for friendliness, three snowflakes for services, two for comfort. The quest here is mountain climb. It has a thousand people, which is exactly the same it used to have. Nice. So somehow they're managing to not fall apart. Maybe they bring in people from other towns. Um, they have the biggest fishing fleet. 
uh, though the harbor itself is frozen, but they can go out into the unfrozen portion. And they have a new speaker. The new speaker is Nareth Maxildanar, replaced the old speaker who no longer wanted the job, which is very bizarre to me because that doesn't kind of fit Targos, but okay. Uh, but the new speaker is interesting because they are secretly the senior rep for the Zentarim in 10 towns. Uh, nice. Senior rep. I like that. Yep. Um, and so they are trying to help the Zents rise in power. They're murdering Harpers. They're doing all sorts of stuff um, to, to try to undermine things. Um, when I read this, I immediately think like, cool, the players should try to rid um, them of this evil. There's all this information about this. Clearly, I must undo this. But there isn't a quest to do that, which mm -hmm. is, I find interesting. Mm -hmm. Because the kind of player that I would, the character that I would play, and that I think many people would play, would want to undo this thing, but not really much there to support that. Okay. Um, in fact, the quest here, there and there are a number of you know decent features to this place. Uh, there's, you know, there, the flying snakes are in, being used by the Centaurum in, in the little cage and things like that. Um, but let's get to the quest, which is you're walking at some point through town when the sled dog comes r running into you and leads you to someone's home and it's the home of Keegan Velerin and he is there but his husband Garrett took the sled dogs up the mountain on an expedition with adventurers and something must have gone wrong for this dog to appear here and I think he maybe has like a piece of the harness left on him so he broke away so Keegan suggests that you go to um, help find his husband Garrett but he suggests you go to Kair Koenig and Frozen Expeditions, Frozen Far Expeditions, the store there, to get information because he's sure that Garrett would have stopped there. And this can mean that you go through a whole bunch of towns or several towns to then go on your quest. So maybe you like that. Uh, some characters might be like, we don't need no help, let's go. And then you're going to miss some, some pieces. So, so you, know, you, you probably want to point them to that um, as need be. Uh, there is also a funny mention here about how sled dogs can shorten the trip, which is not mathematically true according to the <laughs> rules, but so be it. Um, now, if you go to Karakonig, you can find a, a guide, which the, seems to be the intention of, of this quest. You hire Jarthra Farzash as a guide. They give you a suggestion for random wilderness encounter, which could happen in a blizzard. There's a very cool map of the route to climb up. Kelvin's Cairn, so you're going actually up the mountain, which is kind of a, a neat thing that you get to do that. Um, and when you get to the base camp, you find there are other sled dogs here. And I like this, they didn't kill off the dogs and they explain how they tore into a bag of rations to stay alive. Mm -hmm. So you find the rest of the dogs are alive. I thought that was very nice. Like that's, yeah. you know, not just murdering away the dogs. Um, and a nice way to give the players dogs while having them buy it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, there, there are mountain goats on the way up, and it's probably worth seeing here if you haven't listened to the, uh, there are a couple of, of Dragon Talk interviews with designers and, and, and also with Chris Perkins talking about the design of Rhyme, and apparently the team of, of writers who start working on all these quests, they somehow developed a thing for goats. So you'll find ghosts throughout all these encounters. And it was sort of like kind of the inside joke and rallying cry around goats. So there are, again, goats here on the way up. Uh, and then you encounter an avalanche. And this is one of these things where we get back to our avalanche rules that we <laughs> talked about earlier. It's 500 feet away. 
So on initiative count of 10, it's 200 feet away. And on initiative count zero, you're in it. And there's no way you're going to cross its width. So mm -hmm. you're just going to be in it. And if we follow the rules, we then need to know, well, it's going to go till it stops. But nothing tells us when it stops. So, and we don't know anything about what to do with this. So if I'm a DM, even if I sort of remember the avalanche rules, which are kind of too complicated anyway, uh, I'm not gonna know what to do. An avalanche hits me, I'm gonna call for initiative, but there's no point because you're in it. I'm guessing you just get swept all the way down the mountain and then you dig out and start over. I don't know, it's a little yeah. weird. You know, it gets into that whole avalanche rules thing. Like, yeah, we wanna use it, but mm. so I would probably, turn this into a skill challenge. I would say, you know, the avalanche is coming down, find refuge, grab onto rocks. Uh, you find a, a piece of rope or something like that that someone else used to tether themselves. Something like that that would be a little more interesting than just climb back up the mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, you continue on and you're gonna reach Garrett in the snow. He is exhausted, has six hit points left and then crag cats attack. Cool, I think that's very fun. Um, so you get some, some answers as to the rest of the group went further on. Uh, now you do some athletics checks to do the rest of the climb. The failure is interesting. If you fail, you waste an hour and those PCs who failed get one level of exhaustion, but only those that failed. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, exhaustion is a you know, tough thing to, to go with, but so it goes. Yeah. Then you finally get to the cave, Mama Yeti and a Yeti Tyke are there. Um, and, you know, we talked about how you can have these secret origins, right? And like in the previous quest, if you're a doppelganger, that matters. In this quest, if you happen to have the littlest Yeti secret, uh, oh, that's gonna be amazing. Like, <laughs> so the, again, it goes back to that thing of, there are a lot of quests, you know, 10 quests, you're not gonna do all 10. So when you're going through the book, if you already know what your character's secrets are, you can, you know, maybe choose ones where it matters and will be interesting. And this is one where if you have that, uh, the scene just, it's gonna be great. Um, the tyke is, the baby Yeti is playing with the halfling, but the mom will allow you to rescue the halfling if you don't attack. And, and it's sort of, it's sort of the, the I'm, you know, don't hurt my baby kind of thing. Um, daddy Yeti, Yeti will arrive, but you can also work it out with them. So there's some possibilities here. And eventually you get up to the ruined camp and man, you think like you're gonna end maybe on a high note, so to speak, but uh, it is a gruesome scene with the dead final adventure plus the dead body of a previous explorer. It is not rewarding at all. Um, so it's one of those just dark kind of moments that, mm -hmm. that it ends on. Um, you, you get spell book and a potion of invisibility, but, um, but you could change it, you know, like this, if you think through whether this beat is a little too down for you, mm -hmm. um, and you could always have, you know, the one person still clinging to life. Um, or if, if this does feel good, if you like the sort of horror aspect of it, then it will end on this down note. Mm -hmm. Um, and you'll probably just recover the bodies and bring it back to town. All right. And last but not least, our final ten town is Termalane, with a friendliness and a comfort of three, and a services of two, with a population of six hundred. Termalane was founded by Kalashite settlers, who uh, built it on the shore of Mare Duldan. Uh, it is a beautiful uh, town, but it was built in the path of a terrible cold wind from the north. Um, it's mostly populated by fishers and miners, 
And there is an underdark threat that often emerges because of the mines. The uh, Blue Clam Tavern is a, just a regular old inn, not much there, a place for rumors. Um, at the East Side Inn, the innkeep Marta wears a ring of warmth. And there's a nice story that goes along with that. Um, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't connect anything else in the adventure. So, you know, you might have to work as the DM to get that story in, but you can do so if you want. But let's get into the quest, which is called A Beautiful Mine. As the players come into town or as they walk through town, a town crier tells of workers that evacuated a nearby mine because of a cobalt invasion. Um, the town speaker is called Oris Masthew. And uh, he will ask them to investigate. What he doesn't tell them is that the town militia is basically revolting. They're not going to do anything he says. And he is facing pretty much an open revolt at this point as speaker. So uh, there's, it's, it's always interesting in an adventure to have something revealed, but then says, don't tell the players. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you can find a way to play up that, bit you know if the players like oris if you play him as as a uh, figure to be pitied or to be helped then the players may work to help him if you play him as someone who is weak or uh, a fool then the players may actually work against him but that's up to you as the dm because it doesn't push you in either direction right when the players get to the mine uh they find that this isn't a normal cobalt invasion um because written in common on a sign outside the mine uh, is the words kobolds only. And, and you, there are clues that the kobolds in there might not be what they seem. Um, you, you get clues as, as you approach, basically the, the miners who evacuated can give you some, some uh, hints about that. So that's what you are thinking going in. Uh, Room one, you just see some tracks. Great. Uh, there is a part where you can have the PC spend an hour mining, and there's a chance, a very, very slim chance, that they might find a little gem. Um, there is like a one in a hundred chance that they find a really valuable gem. <laughs> but I like that chart. I do, usually don't like charts, but this one's nice because yeah. you, know, you can work an hour, and you're probably going to get nothing. You might get something worth a gold piece. So that just shows you like the adventuring life it might not be safe, but it's much more exciting than mining where you can spend an hour and you have a one in a hundred chance of getting something actually worthwhile. Uh, there is a room with a couple of giant rats that you will have to fight. And there's a fast moving stream. If you enter the fast moving stream and you fail a DC 10 dexterity saving throw, you die. <laughs> the, it, it, that's what it says. You know, it says <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. the river picks you up and carries you. Uh, down into the thousands underdark. of feet, thousands yeah. of feet plummeting. So, yeah, be careful there. So, uh, at there, this is a three level dungeon. Uh, the first time you actually run through a cobalt, there is a, a bridge made of planks over this humongous pit, and two cobalts are on the underside of, of the planks, attempting to weaken them so that anything bigger than a halfling that walks over them will fall. So the players might not see them and the, they, and they might not see the players, but this is, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, right? You never find yeah. the kobolds actually making the trap. 
it's a nice setup, but you as the DM are going to have to think about how you're going to run it because the text doesn't tell you how. Well, and what I do like about this, right, is this is design that if it doesn't get used, it's okay. And it could come up later. Like you might end up on the lower levels looking up to see them. So it works here, right? Like it's that you could literally, you know, two ships passing in the night, don't see each other. It's okay. Or it could be hilarious, you know, or you you might walk back to go back to look for something and you go, hey, you know, make another check. But this is one of those times where as the designer, you need to ask yourself, what's the most likely thing to happen? The most likely thing to happen is the players will make a perception check and they will see these cobalts. What are they, you know, and they're not necessarily going to attack right away. So they might talk to them. What do these cobalts say? You know, do they, they're, if they let go, they're going to fall to their deaths on the other side of these, these uh, planks. Cause it says if they take damage, they fall and die. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're in a precarious situation, so they're not going to attack. Uh, and so if the players say, take me to your leader, what do these cobalts do? You have to think of that as the DM yeah. because the text doesn't. And it's, Well, you know, they do have further, at the beginning, they do have a set of, of um, quotes that kobolds can say if you capture them. Yeah. Yep. And so if you want to use those um, rather than after they're captured, because you're not going to capture these dudes, they're there. They're either you either pull them up from under these planks or they fall to their deaths when you damage them. And they do have some fun things. Like they'll say Trex led us here. He has wings like a dragon, but he don't speak dragon no more. Yeah. Uh, says miners want their mind back. Trex wants something better in return. Yep. So there's some neat little pieces there. Yep. Yep. And so it's very easy to, to turn this into a very social sort of uh, encounter or adventure because probably you will be talking most of the time with the creatures that you find. Um, so if you do go to the cobalt leader, uh, he has strapped to his back fake dragon wings, and he speaks with an incredible vocabulary. The reason why is he is possessed by the ghost of a sage. And the ghost only wants to get to a place where he can get out of the cobalt body into a body that he can use better, but it doesn't really tell you what the ghost wants beyond that. He's a sage. He's not like an evil mastermind. He traveled the area picking up and examining wildlife and, and the flora and fauna. So, and he has a sack with him containing all of his specimens, but it really doesn't say this is what he wants beyond this encounter other than to get to town and to possess someone else. Yeah. If he does that, then what? That's what I want to know. And yeah. the, the adventure doesn't tell you, so DM, make it up. Maybe he turns into an ally of the of the characters. Maybe he turns into a threat. We don't know. And I, and I think that's what's know. missing, right? It's just a couple of bullets that would say, yeah. if the characters treat the sage well, yeah, he can advise them and they can turn to him for knowledge. Um, as long as they don't ruin his secret of whoever he's taken over. Or if he's an enemy, he could move from body to body and eventually end up in one of the other foes. Maybe it's the Zentar, maybe it's someone else and undermines the characters, right? Use them as a foil at times. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he gets to the Durgar Mm -hmm. and, and possesses one of them, he could become an ally and bring uh, knowledge of Shardalan to, to the Durgar. We just don't know. But, you know, it's something as the DM, it's a wild card you can play with. So think ahead about how you want to play with that. 
The other um, thing is that a ghost is CR4. So, yeah. and and has some frightening abilities, so to speak. Right. Uh, so but if it goes to combat, it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think he wants to fight. He just wants to keep trying right. to possess someone. Uh, so again, play it, play it to the best story that you can tell. Uh, there are a couple of cool little mechanical exploration things like bucket lifts to get between levels and a, a conveyor to get across a chasm from one place to another. Um, but there, the big threat is a growl that is hiding in a chamber. And the growl is the main threat here. The, uh, if the characters only deal with the kobolds and never find and deal with the growl, when they go back to Tamerlane, they can tell uh, Oris, yeah, we cleared out the mines. And he says, okay, great. Let me go check it out. And if everything's safe, I'll pay you your money. And if you don't defeat the growl or deal with the, uh, the kobold problem, when he goes, he, he probably gets killed or gets possessed by this ghost um, if you didn't take care of that problem. So I like that, that the designer here thought ahead enough to have that be the outcome. Uh, so it's, it, this is one of the shorter uh, quests, I think. There isn't a lot of fighting. There's not a lot of combat. It's probably going to be a quick fight with the growl and then a conversation with the kobolds. So one thing that's interesting here, design-wise, right, is given that the adventure wants to sort of give you these horror moments, I find that the Grell in this mine could be absolutely terrifying mm -hmm. if you used it differently. And that there are these places where, you know, one at a time you're lowering yourself on a bucket with this shaft that yeah. leads down thousands of feet, super scary. And nothing happens there. Mm -hmm. And the Grell's just hanging out in this room in level yeah. two. And it's like, if you put that Grell anywhere else, right. it would be really scary. Like it could. And, and, and then I think, you know, if you even just change it to be a carrion crawler or give it, maybe even merge the stats, it's not so brutal because it will re remove one character probably. But, mm -hmm. but if you use something like a carrion crawler that paralyzes, you could transform if you want the horror piece you could really dig into horror with that yep you that is interesting they didn't do that here. hi i mean the, the way it's written the growl will not attack if all the characters are in the room it will hide then when everyone leaves it will follow them and try to grab them uh but there isn't a lot of space to do that mm -hmm. well in right. the, with the map so you can make it change the map a little bit if you need to to make it so you do separate one character from the rest for at least a short time because the growl can then paralyze. And, uh, and one thing I do for sure is, you know, if, if you happen to, sometimes you have situations where the party has an NPC or two and they get a little old and you're like, mm -hmm. how can that NPC move up? Oh, murder them with a growl. Yeah. Like this is where you'd want to, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> run them through this and remove that NPC so you don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> have it be yeah. the first victim and the characters start yeah. you know, playing alien in the mind shaft. Absolutely true. So, Chaos, believe it or not, we are out of chapter one now. <laughs> so, next time we can move on to chapter two. But we have to end there, sadly. Thank you and all. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying that I think next time let's start with a, a sort of look back right now and take it all in because we've gone yeah. through at the specific level, but I think it'd be good to take True. it in. True. True.
But until then, thank you all for listening. We appreciate your uh, patronage if you are a supporter of our Patreon or just uh, happy that you're listening. Where can people find you on the internet, Taos? I can be found on Twitter at AlphaStream. And uh, my blog is alphastream.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk to both Teos and me at the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Mr. Abadia, what would you like to do now? Let's slowly but surely, as we descend into madness, kill some monsters. Some of us have already. You're done with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D and D. You're done with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm done with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's done with D and D?